Centro. Yeah, Elliot, how are you today? I'm still breathing, man. Can't complain, Sean. Thank you for having me here this afternoon. I appreciate it. No worries. I'm not going to listen to you complain. I promise you. We do not. not. I, I, I do very little complaining. All right. That's good to hear. How about you, Anna? I'm doing great. Good to see everybody. Hi, Sean. Hi, Elliot. Yep. What's up, Anna? So, Elliot, you asked me before we got started how many people view this. So, it's like a million. I lied. We do have about a million people. So, if you're going to lie to me, give me a good lie. <laughs> good. I like that. <laughs> not quite a million, but I claim that. So we'll yep. let everybody get in. I honestly, this is going to be a great one today. Really good topic. We're going to talk about how we can, you know, improve opportunities for Hispanic families. Just talk about, the, uh, you know, a bunch of stuff. I've been talking to Ana lately. Last week I saw it's uh, today is the last day for Hispanic Heritage, right? Yep. Hispanic Heritage Month. And so I'm like, it's it falls on Thursday. It's the 15th. The 15th through the 15th. They, they cut it down to two weeks. No, it's September 15th through October 15th. Oh, that's right. I was like, damn. I'm glad yeah. my wife takes care of the bills at home. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> tell me about it. Tell me about yeah. it. So we'll go ahead and get started. I'm going to start with a, a quick little story, and then we'll get into uh, you know introducing you. I, I promise you, I'm not going to introduce you. You're going to introduce yourselves. This past weekend, I went fishing with my son. So in Maryland, across the uh, Bay Bridge, it's called uh, yeah. Mestapeque Pier. And so anybody that knows me, I don't get into politics at all, stuff like that. But one thing that during this pandemic that I've been real vocal about is uh, social distancing and, you know, wearing your mask. And so my family, we've been trying to find activities that we can do where we're not around a lot of people and stuff and we can just go and be ourselves and relax. And so one of the things that my son and I, we picked up on Elliot and Anna and Elliot, you're a fisherman. So We've been just going fishing and we, we cross the bay, we go to this place and it's right there. And there's, there's a lot of like striped bass in there, perch, and uh, there's, uh, there's some spot. There's all, all kinds of fish in there, right? It just depends on obviously what kind of bait you use. Blood worms. Um, yeah, we use blood worms, right? We were catching some perch. So the one thing that we've been doing before we cross the bridge, this is our second or third time going there, is we stop at this angler place, yeah. this fishing shop. and when I go in there, we talk and I ask questions and they're asking me questions. And I'm saying like, hey, guys, I know how to do mortgages pretty well. right? <laughs> and other than that, like, I don't know what you're talking about. Like, you're the experts at it. You understand bait and lures and everything like that, that we should be using. Just tell me, like, be my guide. Like, help me out, man. Like, I don't know. What should I get? What would you fish with if you go yeah. across? So. They gave me some suggestions. They said, you know, the first time I went a few months ago, they told me it was sight fishing and they gave me some some lures to use. This time around, they're like, you should use live bait. So they gave me blood worms. All right. So we get that. We get the ice and everything and we get all packed up and we drive across the bridge. We go and we park. We pay to park and everything in the state park. And then we start walking down. So mind you, the pier is jam packed. Right. That gives me anxiety now. I can't. (laughs) Like, even if everyone's wearing a mask, it still gives me anxiety. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So my son, Anna and Elliot, he looks at me and he just gives me that look. And it was kind of like this. And I'm like, all right, I get it. So I was like, we're going to go on this bank and we're going to fish. So I look on the bank and there was one which I was like, man, this is a great spot. It was really it was close to the pier. And then I, I look down the bank and there's people all the way down. And so we go and we set up shop, you know, right at the uh, beginning area. We cast 
we cast a few times and, you know, nothing happens. We reeled it back in, cast a couple more times. And then I'm just like pulling, pulling. I'm like, there's surely not a, a huge fish on here like this heavy. It won't come back. So I'm like, all right. And I just grabbed the end of the pole and I pulled the string and the string breaks. So I had gotten snagged. So that happened twice. So I looked down to the left of me and these guys there, they were catching fish. Like they're pulling fish out. And, you know, I see them pull their, uh, this little thing up out of the water. They had a striped bass and a huge catfish on there. So I'm like, all right, they know what they're doing. So I'm saying, Hey, sir, like, have you seen a lot of people get snagged in this location today? He's like, yeah, quite a few people, actually. And I was like, all right, cool. And I was like, <laughs> I'm like, do you mind if we move over a little bit beside you? They're like, no. So we we found another spot and we go down. My son, by that time, he's a little frustrated and we fish a little bit more. So about an hour later, we still hadn't caught anything. And then we're getting ready to pack up. And I'm like, you know what? Let's do this one more time. You pack up the stuff. I'm going to throw the rod in. We're going to let it sit for a while until you get packed up. He's like, okay. So I did that. Boom. Caught a fish right before we were going to quit. It was a little, little baby perch, in, but it was it was just the point of is that it happened. So I'm going to wrap this story up by saying the reason I'm telling this story is because of the reason why we're on this call right now. Right. Because, number one, I stopped at this angler shop to get information on how to fish in this particular bay, in this particular area. When I get there. There's some opportunities right there to obviously catch fish because there's a big sea of fish out there or bay of fish. Some people are getting snagged, right? Some people getting snagged. Some people are flourishing, catching fish like crazy. Then you go down the bank a little ways and you see people, they're just kind of hanging out. They're throwing their line in. They're having a good time. It is what it is. Whenever it happens, it just happens for them, right? And then I look at us. We were about to give up right? Pack our stuff up, get in the car and go home. But what we did is we said, all right, we're going to try this one more time. And before we quit, we caught a fish. So I say all that to say, I really appreciate the both of you coming on today because I don't want to make this a gloom and doom or even a negative or bad situation. Today, we're going to talk about the opportunities. We're going to talk about how we're going to get away from those snags at the beginning where my son and I were, we're going to get to flourishing, where those guys were pulling all those fish out of the ground, I mean, out of the ground, but out of the water. And then we're going to move over to kind of what it looks like for people that have the opportunity that are there throwing their lines in, but they might just be like a little challenge, but they're still getting their line in and out of the water. But before they quit, we can help them get a home. So, you know, real quick, if Elliot, if you can tell us, uh, you know, who you are, what you do, Anna, after he does that, can you do the same? And then we'll get into why we're here today. Thank you, Sean. Great fishing story. There's never a bad one. Uh, there's a lot of things like we could segue on that. But first, my name's Elliot Oliva. I'm with Keller Williams Realty in McLean, Virginia. Been a licensed agent for seven years. Prior to that, I spent 16 years as a lender, but on the broker side, direct lender, wholesale lender, processor, starting in Austin, Texas. When I became a lender, probably at least half to 75% of my business with the Hispanic community. And when I moved out here, also uh, joined NAREP and served on the board and served as chapter president in 2015 for NAREP Metro DC. And thank you for having me. No worries. Thanks. No worries. Great Thanks. Information. Yes. And I was going to say that. So Elliot is a huge, he loves to fish. His daughter fishes and the daughter is what, nine, 10 now? Nine. Yeah. Yep. She catches, and then his son fishes too. He's like, what? 
three and a half, but he's nuts. It's hard. So fishing is Elliot's like bonding time with the kids. And I love to see pictures of them. So, you know, that, that story was a great way to start out for him. I'm Ana Tolentino. I'm with Main Street Home Loans. I have a semi-mini team called the Ana team that I'm trying to create into an empire. Not quite there yet. I'm still mastering having more than one person under me. But I have been doing this since, well, I was a realtor first from 03, I think it was, through 05. I did real estate. And then I got into lending because one of the lenders that we worked with who turned out to be one of my very good friends now, said they needed a Latino loan officer because it was 2005. You know, the Latino market was insane. People were being taken advantage of. And so they wanted to train a Latino loan officer to be able to help people. And I had worked for them for so many years as a realtor and they were great lenders. And I jokingly said, oh, what about me? I mean, I really had no intention of ever leaving real estate the person who brought me in, Rob McElroy and Liz McElroy, they didn't hesitate. They were like, when can you start? And I was like, no, 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 it's a joke, it's a joke. And they were like, no, we think you'd be great. So I was, I think 23 or 24 years old. I was in real estate, I was doing really well for what I thought was really well. And I said, you know what, let's just, let me just do it. If I hate it, I can always go back to real estate. But I'm young, I love numbers, I love math, So, and I speak Spanish, and I can help a huge population of people. And I haven't looked back. 15 years later, I'm still doing this, and there's days where I love it, and there's days where I'm like, when can I retire again? <laughs> but I think I have more love than retirement days. <laughs> That's great, both of you. So both of you have a realtor background, as well as the mortgage industry. So. That's probably even better for you all because I know you work a lot together. And so, you know, I talked about being a guide in regards to the fishing story that I had. And then Anna sounds like the same with you because, as you mentioned, people were getting taken advantage of. Yeah. Right. Right. And so we weren't asking all the right questions. Right. And finding the trusted person that's going to give us the right answers to uh, to help us get where we needed to be so that we didn't get those snags. I wish somebody would have told me not to go next to the pier that I could have saved because I spent a lot of money doing that. Like I spent money for the weights that I had on the rod, <laughs> all the, the bait, everything on. I can't get them back. Right. And so I'm going to ask Elliot this question. What is uh, the number one challenge that you see with, you know, improving opportunities for specifically Hispanic families? This is what we're going to talk about today. I've said this for ages. You know, Hispanics come here. We come here from other countries with a, a work ethic second to none, but we don't come from generational wealth, right? We don't have business building mindsets in our DNA like other families do, right? So we come here, we work hard, and that's all we know, a lot of us, right? The disconnect with that is like when someone works hard, you know, my mom or whoever, and they're getting ready to buy a house, they have a different mindset when they start seeking professionals. And even before that, they're not even seeking, a lot of us are not seeking to educate ourselves financially on the home buying process, the mortgage process. We just kind of adhere to anybody that, that we can identify with rather than trying to find to well, find the right information to make us a better consumer. Over the years from, you know, from when I got started in the mortgage business to real estate, I've seen that over the years that, especially first generation Americans, you know, immigrants, 
they'll go with someone just because they speak the same language and they're not working with people that, it, that maybe can practice at a much higher level and they fall into uh, bad habits and they get taken advantage of like we saw in the 2000s people dealing with unscrupulous lenders just because they spoke the same language i remember doing refis like after 08 or around 2010 and seeing their original settlement statement these guys charging hispanics like three points on the front three on the back yeah. and i would call these guys i was like how can you do that to your own people it's six percent yeah if my math is correct yes uh <laughs> three, and, on the front, three on the back that's six percent on top of the uh, income that you might be making too as well for the company yeah so there's that component that drives me nuts and then people just not accepting help from real estate and mortgage professionals that do want to take care of them has been the biggest challenge is just the desire to seek education and become a more empowered consumer right just because we don't come from that is a big challenge it breaks my heart to see people like Anna or myself we seem like hey we want to help you yeah let's get you in a home buyer class let's even though you don't want to buy a house now maybe in a year or two well let's start the process now because that way we can benchmark right and i try to say this in spanish but but anyways because like, if the answer is no right now at least your mortgage professional is going to tell you why it's a no how to turn that no into a yes over time you know and that's what a real advocate slash mortgage or real estate professional is going to help you do to get you on a path to home ownership educating you along the way and that way when when you're ready you're that much more prepared and the ball's in your court you're doing things by design not by default is the key to all of this to being prepared and educated so right, right, that's right. my biggest challenge that's great information it sounds like elliot education is a big piece of it because you you mentioned we don't come from that that was a comment that i heard you heard you say and a lot of us um yeah. in the minority community right first or second generation of some semblance of wealth at this point. Right. And yeah. so, or just even being educated on, you know, financial literacy. So like, Anna, what are you seeing like in regards to that? How are you helping with that education piece and you know, helping people kind of understand some of the things that Elliot was talking about? So, you know, it's interesting you say, I think as I've gone into the business more, I'm starting to also not only educate Hispanics, but educate all like, everybody especially young people yeah because like especially right now with refis and stuff it's educating people okay maybe not going a 15 year out but going a 30 year out and taking that extra money and maxing out your 401k so there's been tons of opportunities for education so i think education especially in the hispanic community is so important and i've been fortunate to i spend a lot of time with clients i help them figure out what do they need raises? Do they need credit is the biggest, biggest point that I spend the most time on education wise. Why? Because and many of like my parents, they didn't have credit cards in El Salvador. I mean, they lived in a little town in Santana where they barely had enough food to eat. They harvested their own food. You know, they worked in the coffee bean area. So they weren't sitting around talking about bank accounts or credit reports or credit cards. So the biggest problem I tend to see, especially in the Hispanic market, why they aren't able to take advantage of certain programs and why they aren't able to take advantage of down payment assistance is because they don't have good credit or they don't know how to manage credit. A lot of my clients don't have a good credit score because not because they have tons of debt because they don't have any credit cards. They'll have like one car loan from 2007 show up. 
it's very, very important for me to educate. So when someone comes in, it's like, okay, let's get you a secured credit card. You don't have to go to Best Buy and buy a $5,000 TV. Just use gas, pay it. In this country, credit is important. That's this, you know, everybody uses that as a metric to see whether you're gonna pay. So it's a big part of what I do on a daily basis, not only with the Hispanic market, but with the, basically, I'm finding every market, but especially the Hispanic market to teach them that credit is not bad if you use it right. And then there's still a lot of like fear from 2008 and 2005, where people you know, lost their homes, maxed out their credit cards, especially Hispanics. Hispanics are very cash-based. We're very cash-based. We keep our cash under our mattresses. We don't trust banks. We don't want to get into a situation where if the bank closes, we can't access our hard-earned money. So between not having credit and just having way too much cash under the mattress, that's don't, where don't give out your address. We don't want you getting robbed or anything. It is so funny. You know, I have a client that called me and told me they had a hundred thousand dollars at home. A hundred thousand yeah. dollars. And I was like, where do you live again? In case I get in any trouble, I'm coming to your house. <laughs> what if your house burns down? You know, they're, they're, they're <laughs> so I asked him that. I said, what about if your house burned down? I said, no, 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 no. I have a fireproof safe. I'm okay. And it's oh just my. Like his, entire, head around it. his entire savings is in there, like years and years of savings. And I go, you know that if you put that in the market, you could have almost like you could have at least made twenty five thousand dollars off of that. He's like, no. He's like, I don't understand that. I don't trust it. I, I want that's why I want to buy a house, because I'd rather it work in a house. Because the one thing that Hispanics know is that land is valuable. Yes. Because we came from areas where land was valuable. Why? Because you could harvest on that land. You could put a house on that land. You could raise your entire family on that land. And no one really came and said to you, hey, we're going to take you off this land unless there was drama. But it didn't happen. doesn't happen very often. So no matter, that's the one thing I think that Latinos consist of a lot of different types of Latinos, cultures, people, languages. But that's the one common thing that I think that unites us is that we all know that land is valuable and we all try to get a little bit of it. Got it. Got it. Credit, education, right? And understand the value of the land piece. Elliot, as you know, we can't make any more dirt. It's there. The market right now, I keep hearing, and it's what we say in this industry, the market, the market, the market, right? And things are very competitive right now. But like when I do the research, the Hispanic home ownership rate population and such is going, it's increasing. It dipped, like Anna mentioned back in, you know, 08 and around that time frame, but it's steadily been increasing. Right now at this point, it's low, but it's like, for instance, my community is higher than Black Americans, African-American community. And so you're at like 47.5% that I noticed, but like I said, it's increasing. So my question to you is, is where do you see opportunities especially in this competitive market, but also knowing that the Hispanic population is growing in regards to becoming homeowners. Where do you see positive opportunities? Again, pointing out that Hispanic homeownership is growing when others are, are flat or even going down is a testament to our work ethic, what we prioritize. I think the effort by a lot of collective, collective effort like NAREP and other real estate organizations that you know we're trying to educate and empower not just the consumers but the the people that serve the hispanic community 
I think our voice has been getting stronger and stronger, and we're starting to see that. As a result, you know, those numbers are improving. I like to think that, yeah, we're we're putting a dent in it and increasing Hispanic home ownership. It is not easy, but I, I think it is improving. But that that empowerment needs to, like Anna said, she just doesn't just deal with Hispanics. She doesn't not just trying to. We'll teach. We'll help anybody. Eight to eighty blind, crippled, or crazy. I don't care. If you want help, we will help you. And we need to foster that kind of a mindset of leadership in, in our industry, in the mortgage industry, and real estate industry, and get our other industry professionals to to just teach, not to sell, to teach. Because when you, you come from contribution, you lead with your heart, and you look to fill someone else's cup, it's just good for everybody, good for yourself, good for your business, good for our communities, good for our country. You know, it's right. just uh, it's a mindset. That's awesome yeah, that you said that. Because somebody asked me, like, why are you bringing on a loan officer? from another company that's your competition and a realtor yeah. that you don't even work with. And I'm like, because it's, I'm of an abundance mindset. Like at the end of the day, if, if we can help as many people as possible and show that we're true professionals and don't like kind of pigeonhole and segment us into helping one class or one specific type of people. Right. It helps everybody in our industry. Like you mentioned, like in as Americans, that's our job is to make sure that we, keep the economy flowing too as well that's yeah. a part of our fiduciary responsibility i mean i physically can't help every latino in this country <laughs> i need help right? right i wish i could i probably wouldn't be here i'd be sitting on a beach somewhere <laughs> you know i physically can't do it so if maybe there's someone comes to you sean or someone else i want you guys to be able to help i want to be you know, I don't have to physically be the one to help through me. I can help through other people. So Elliot mentioned that NAREP, which is an organization that we're part of, it's the National Association of Hispanic Real Estate Professionals. And they have a wealth project where their goal is to increase Hispanic generational wealth and increase wealth in general. So they came out with this fantastic report. And the one statistic that jumped out at me the most was that 25% of Latinos are more likely to own an investment property outside of their primary residence than non-Hispanic white households. Like, just listen to that statistic. I mean, if it doesn't tell you how important real estate is to the Latino culture and to the Latinos, I don't know what else can. So there's a huge opportunity to not only, I mean, look, we're all salespeople. That's what we do for a living. So we need to feed our families with sales. But so not only to benefit from sales, but to help a segment that wants to be helped, that wants to grow investment property wise. I have one client. He came to me. He bought one place. And every year he would come and he'd be like, I want to buy another one. And I'd be like, uh, should you really? And he'd be like, yes. So I'm like, OK, you know, you want it. I'll make it happen. He's up to six now. And he came from Honduras with nothing, got into the construction business, and he helps build custom homes now. He's going to leave, and most of these properties are in Arlington, Virginia, which if you know Arlington, he's killing it right now. The houses aren't worth very much in Arlington. <laughs> so, you know, he really understood the value of land, and he understood that. And that was something that I was so happy. I continue to help him. He just bought another house last month. I'm blessed to be able to be the catalyst to also help these families. Because not only am I helping the people that are buying the homes. See, I grew up, my mom bought a place 
we had a place to live. And it was so nice to know that my room was always going to be the same, that I was always going to come to the same driveway, that I was going to be in the same schools. Like, it's this type of security that you can't really, I can't really describe. I think you either had it or, you know, you didn't. So if I can make that happen for kids like me, that's what I think fuels me. It's, I mean, don't get me wrong. I like to see the parents, how proud they are. But when I see the kids and I know like, you're going to have a bedroom, you're going to get to paint, like you're going to create memories. And then when, you know, your parents pass away, this is going to be spread between you and your siblings so that you can sell the place and put a down payment on a place. Like that's what gives me the joy of knowing like, I love to do this and I want everyone to be able to feel that, not just me with right. anyone. And especially with the Hispanic community, because I'm Hispanic. So I have a little bit of a bias. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. No, but that's amazing to hear you say that. I caught a chill when I heard that because we want everybody, like we mentioned, we want everyone to experience this. That's amazing. A quick another statistic, just one more. Yeah. And then I'll no, let 40% of Latinos that do not currently own a home right now plan to buy a home within the next five years. Okay. Oh, wow. That's big. That's so a lot. It's huge. It's huge. And I, I have to find the statistic, but I believe we have 18, uh, there's 60.6 million Latinos in the U S okay. 18.5% of the total U S population. And we accounted for 60% of the U S population growth between 18 and 19. So just we're not think, going anywhere. Think yeah. of those numbers. Right. I mean, 40 percent of 60 million. I can't service those people. Right. You can't service all those people. So if I can help an originator or I can help a real estate agent in educating them, like if I can help you in educating you to better serve the Hispanic community, it's not about competing. It's about yep. helping people. And right. you know what? Sometimes I say I may not go to heaven on a whole bunch of other things. But if this is the one thing that I can be like, hey, by the way, I did do this and it gets me in, it's worth it. <laughs> right, right. No, that, that, that's great, Anna. And, and home ownership is supposed to be sustainable. So going yes. back to everything that we talked about, gone are the days of price gouging people and you know, folks not being informed and understanding what they're getting themselves into. I know I have a real big problem with that. When I know that someone's not getting a, a good deal or, or, or getting you know, a fair opportunity. Um, well, and then Latinos <laughs> learned a lot from 2008. It hit the Latino population, probably one of the in the worst yeah. in 2008 did. So it's so nice. I'll tell you that I would say 95% of my Latino clients, when they come to me, they already know what they can afford. They tell me, they say, I don't want to go over this payment. And I'm like, okay, you know, you can go much higher. They're like, no, this is a payment. And this is what we're comfortable with. And this is, they might budge a little bit, but most of them, they're prepared. And I want to say it's because we've worked, everybody's working, including NAREP and many loan officers and real estate agents in this community to educate people. And they've also learned from their mistakes. Nobody likes, the stress of losing a home is, it's just awful. So nobody wants to go through that again. And the best way that, to prevent that is to be realistic into in your numbers. And I'm known, you'll hear around the block, I'm known as one of those loan officers that sometimes tells the truth too much. If I see that it is not a good situation for the client, I will point it out. 
And sometimes I say things that may, the clients don't want to hear and I lose clients that way. But it's because when I go to sleep at night, I want to go to sleep at night knowing that I made someone's life better, not worse. Although they may not see the writing on the wall, I've been doing this long enough where I do. And so I think if we just have caring people that are just willing to help and educate, there's a lot of business, a lot of business. We'll be able to feed our families, help these people grow generational wealth and get people in homes. I mean, how lucky me, you, Elliot, and the thousand other originators over the country. Right. Yeah. right. Elliot, are you looking to uh, grow your team at all? I am. I have. I do have a little team. I have a transaction coordinator, listing coordinator, an ISA team, which is inside sales associates. They're just telemarketers and they call them prospect for me because with inventory being so low, I can't just live and die by the MLS. So we go out there and prospect for houses before they hit the market. I have a buyer specialist that I just brought on who was uh, spent 27 years as a home inspector. So he handles my showings and some buyer work and he has way better eyes than me. And he's been a huge asset just in a few months he's, he's been on board. And I'm looking for probably a buyer agent as well. I'm trying to focus more on listings because that's where it's at, it's what we need. In real estate, regardless of whether it's a buyer or seller's market, focusing on listings allows you to leverage, create more leads and grow. It's the highest and best use of our time for the most part. Got it, and yeah. so and uh, from your perspective, couple, two things for you. How do we get in touch with you, number one? Number two, if you had to give any advice to uh, someone new, like, you know, you're, you're a person that's coming in as a home inspector, right? That has no experience of becoming a realtor, the new people that you're going to bring on your team, what advice would you give them to uh, transitioning into real estate? So how can we get in touch with you? And then what advice would you give new people uh, transitioning into real estate sales? You can always call me or text me at 703-344-8153. That's the best way to get a hold of me. I answer the phone on evenings and weekends. Or you can email me at Elliot, it's E-L-L-I-O-T-T at olivahomegroup.com. If you're going to put it up somewhere, just check my email. Everyone spells my last name wrong. It's not Olivia, it's olivahomegroup.com. I'm actually a mentor at my office. We have a, a program where if you've, just, you've never been licensed, you're brand new, or you've been licensed less than a year, you have to go through our, being our mentor program where we walk you through your first three transactions, how to put an offer together how to price a house, how to lead gen, how to negotiate, etiquette of real estate, professional best standards stuff, but everything soup to nuts because it's too easy to get in this business. It's too easy and too cheap. So there are 14,000 plus real estate agents in Northern Virginia. And there are a lot of people that fall into bad habits right off the bat. One of the biggest mistakes I see agents make when they're brand new is how they pick their brokerage, especially Hispanic agents. They typically, a lot of them will go for the, the most cost-effective, 100% commission brokerage. And there's nothing wrong with that business model if you know what you're doing, right? But these new agents, they go with this model and they, awesome, they're 100% commission, but they have no training, no oversight, no coaching, no mentoring. And they're trying to figure it out, right? They can't even fill out a contract correctly. And that's a potential legal minefield right there. And they fall into bad habits that maybe they don't even know are bad habits and they make a bad name for themselves, make a bad name for our industry. And it's bad. Most importantly, it's bad for the consumer. The consumer can end up losing money, losing their deposit, get sued because they don't have a professional that's being trained correctly. Now, I always tell people like wherever you end up, go get some really good training first. 
get everything from the ground up. Someone who can either take you under their wing, teach you about how to put together an offer correctly, how to price a house correctly, how to negotiate, how to present an offer professionally. Get trained up, find a coach, find a mentor, invest in yourself in personal development. I've had coaches myself. I have several mentors. I mastermind regularly with other top agents in my office, not just in my office, but other companies, other offices, other brokerages. My mindset is that no one, the only person who's my competition is the guy in the mirror every morning. That's it. That's it. No one else is better or worse than me. And I'm always looking for ways to help others, whether they're my fellow realtors or lenders or consumers. It's feels good to come from contribution, like we say around here. So yeah, that's brand new agent, get coaching, mentoring, develop your skill sets, because if you can't properly convey your value proposition, then no one's ever going to value what you do. And you become an agent who just leads with a discount. And I teach agents, if you lead with a discount, just because you're new, no one's ever going to give you a raise. They say, <laughs> oh, go work with me. I'll give you 1%. Well, A, you've already out-negotiated yourself. And as a realtor, your job is to be a negotiator. And you've already told your, your potential client, you suck at that. <laughs> and then you've already, you know, you value yourself. Like, and again, like I said, no one's going to give you a raise. That's what you're going to be known for. Do you want to know, be known as the cheapest or the best? And if you want to be the cheapest, hey, that's a business model too. And if it works for you, by all means, go do it. But learn how to be professional too at the same time. Don't be cheap. Have a value mindset. Build your value proposition through training, coaching, development, self-investment. It'll pay off. Good stuff. I put your cell phone in the uh, the chat here. Cool. So Thank anybody you. that's looking to get into real estate, uh, don't hesitate to reach out to Elliot. Happy to help. Yeah. And then uh, want to respect both of your times as well. So y'all got lucky today. So I'm not going to ask you that last question that I, I, I text you. I'm not yeah. scared. I've got, I've got time. All right. So Anna, tell us how we can reach you as well. So you can reach me via email. Anna is with one N. So it's Anna at the Anna team.com or myself, 703-731-7663. Text is usually the best. You just let me know you're looking for me, what time I can call you back. And then I, I'll call you just because sometimes I'm on the phone with a client. Then I try not to go back and forth because otherwise I would never finish a conversation. Dead or alive. If you had one person that you could choose to have a meeting with, breakfast, lunch, coffee, dinner, whatever it might be. Who would that person be? But you only get one question. And what would the question be? That's it. That's, that's hard. I, I mean, you know, it's life. <laughs> so this is very personal and it's not really business related. Should I make it doesn't it have to be business related. So I would speak from the heart. I would talk to my dad who passed away two years ago yeah. and ask him why he left us. Oh, All yeah. Right. <laughs> I've had that. Like, so I've been doing this, this, uh, about 30 weeks now. Right. I've had that. Someone says something similar to that. I'd like to know. Cause as a parent, I just can't imagine just leaving and like just disappearing. So there has to be a valid reason. And, you know, when I finally had the guts to ask him, he couldn't talk anymore. Uh, so I think, yeah, that's the first thing that popped into my head that, and I'd like to, I think the other person would be Andrew Jackson. Because he is my one of my I have favorite, not heard that one yet. My favorite presidents. And so I would just like to ask him like how he did it, how he was able to con so many people into believing he was great. So that's just me. Yeah, <laughs> oh, thank you. That's that's good. How about you, Elliot? One person, one question. Well, it's funny, uh well not funny, but 
you know, something similar to Anna. I never got to meet my grandfather on my dad's side. He died when I was about a year old. I never in Mexico and I never got to see him because anyway, long story. So I'd love to talk to my grandpa and just, I don't even know what I'd ask him, but I just wish I could talk to him. Just ask him, you know, what does it take to be a good man? You know? Yeah. Elliot would ask him for the taco recipe. Elliot loves well, tacos. I got recipes, but I, you know, I'm always, <laughs> oh, wow. I cook. So these questions mean a lot to me too, as well, because they they really speak to people's character quite a bit, and I can tell just through all the conversation that we've had today, I've enjoyed it a lot. I've been locked in on it. Like it's been about family, and it's been about helping others and taking yourself out of the equation, right? And then so based on the answers, I mean the questions that you uh, would ask and the people that you would meet, you know, I can tell that that family piece is very important to you. So. That makes me feel good. And, you know, anybody that's listening to this, just in general, it doesn't have to be the three of us that helps you. But I firmly believe in finding people that, you know, actually care. I actually run my business that way. I, I try to treat everyone the way that I'd want my mom, my sister, my brother, my daughter treated. I credit my success to that. You know, I'm not uber successful, but I mean, I'm doing OK. You're, you're successful. And I'm doing OK. <laughs> and I really attribute that to the fact that. When I see someone come through, I don't just see a dollar sign. I mean, I see my mom. I see my sister. I see my cousins. I see everyone. I try to treat everyone like their family, sometimes too much like family <laughs> when I start giving advice because family is very important to me. I mean, it's it's what I wake up in the morning for. My, my goal is to have my parents retire and be able to have them not worry about money because for so long they worried about taking care of us. That's that's what I want to do for them. That's that's amazing. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much. This has been a great conversation. I enjoy Thursdays at two o'clock because I get to have talks like this. And uh, this one particularly um, means a lot to me that we're able to uh, help move the needle in this way. I always talk about relationships here. You got to build relationships before you need them. Right. Yeah. And I've been knowing you for quite a while. We haven't had this conversation like this before, like not publicly. Right. Yeah. And so it's important. And I talk about that guide, like, you know, Elliot, who knows what's going to happen when, from this conversation when people wanted to potentially reach out to you to get educated and get the information. So that's the relationship piece. DNA. I don't even have to say anything about that. Like asking why we do what we do and who would we feel like that we would let down if we didn't succeed. I don't have to even talk about it because you guys have already explained it today. Oh, why yeah. you do what you do and why this is important. Right. And then lastly, having a plan. We laid the plan out at the very beginning. Like we talked about credit and education, right? Yeah. Credit education is paramount. I'll leave everybody with, as I say every week, if there's anything that I can do to help, it just feels good to be able to share my network with my network. If there's anybody in my network that I can connect you with, anyone that I can, whatever, anything that I can do to help you, I'm going to do my very best. Y'all stay safe, as healthy as you possibly can. They say those masks are helping us from the spread. Just put them on. No, you don't have to. It's not a right, you know, all that good stuff. But just <laughs> just put it on and protect, my, you know, protect my family and your family. So and please uh, make yeah. sure you go out and vote. I have yeah. to be oh, yeah. political. Make sure oh. I don't care who you vote for, but vote because oh. a lot of people wish they had this right and they don't. So you need to go. If you can vote, you need to vote for the people that can't. That's you all. Can't find help. Reach out to people. There's people out there that will drive you. Yes, I will you. drive someone. I'll drive, drive your butt out there wherever. I don't care. Yeah, I definitely help you with the voting too. It's uh, this is very, very, very important that we do that, especially um, 
from now and going forward. There's, Everyone's vote matters. For, can't take anything for granted. Yep. Yeah. So everybody have a great day and uh, we'll be talking soon. Uh, Anna and Elliot, I'll wrap up with you after I shut down this live stream. But thanks again for your time. Thank you all. Bye, everybody. Have, have a good, good week. Yeah.